Welcome to Turning a Moment into a Movement, and I am your host, Jay Love. Thank you for joining us. I represent the Justice for Gerard movement, and Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he didn't do. He went to prison. He served two years in the Michigan Department of Corrections, all around innocent, and um and now he's home, so we're grateful for that. But, you know, because of his story and because of that journey that I had with him, I met so many other people who were wrongfully, who had a loved one that was wrongfully convicted. I met people who had been wrongfully convicted. And because of the, the stories were similar or sound the same, it just moved me to create this moment, turning a moment into a movement. And so we come here on Fridays to talk about wrongful convictions, injustice, uh, community accountability, and everything, just to um, have these um, conversations to educate our community, motivate. And um, so welcome. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. I want to say hello to everyone who's watching on YouTube everyone who's watching on Twitter, and everyone who will probably watch this later on today. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us. So today we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, we have some great guests that's going to come in and speak with us. And I'm going to bring in the guests first, let them introduce themselves, and then I'll let in our panel members. But um, our first guest is, uh, I just love her. I met her through Revitia, Attorney Payne. Let me bring her in. <laughs> Greetings, Attorney Payne. How are you? I am well. It's so good <laughs> to see you. It's great seeing you. It's been a minute. <laughs> yes, it has. But I know you've been busy. So introduce yourself and tell everyone what it is that you do. Well, my name is Dorphine Payne, and I reside in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I am uh, an attorney, a practicing attorney. Uh, I have been that for mm, years, and I, <laughs> um, uh, I'm also um, deeply involved in uh, justice and uh, uh, justice for our people, justice for our uh indigent defendants. Uh, I had a call on my life to uh, not come out of law school and um, and make a lot of money, but to come out of law school and do what I'm here for. And what I'm here for is to represent um, people who couldn't necessarily afford me um, uh, otherwise. And I am I'm pleased to uh, do that and continue to do that. As a part of that, I'm also engaged in, I have, I'm uh, a participant in community engagement. Uh, this year, I'm president of the 
Kalamazoo Indigent Defense Board of Directors, uh, co-president. Um, and uh, that uh, means that I'm co-president of the firm that oversees uh, indigent defense in Kalamazoo. Uh, and so I, uh, and a, also a part of uh, Mothers of Hope, which is an organization in, in, engaged and involved in mother, Mothers of Hope. Women, uh, it, it began as a women's uh, movement who had been uh, deeply involved in the system um, and uh, women who were in recovery uh, and mothers who were in recovery and had gotten their children back and uh, they wanted to pass on what they knew to other women who were uh, suffering from the same addictions. Uh, so I'm deeply involved in community engagement. Just happy to be here this evening. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy that we're going to have a conversation about the juvenile criminal system and also how it leads to wrongful convictions. Because if, um, and I'm going to bring on Larry Smith in a second, but as I listen to a lot of the exonerees that um, have been exonerated, most of them were teenagers when they went into the system. Mm -hmm. And so the criminalization of the youth and everything that's even now presently going on with the youth, you know, we need to pay attention because the, um, the brain science is, is telling us that, you know, a brain is not fully developed until what, 25, 26 years old. Right. So when you, when you're looking at all these things that that's going on and they're mainly with younger people, are we really looking at, you know, that part of them um, when we talking about, you know, juveniles and, and the criminal system? So this is going to be a great conversation. I'm going to bring on Larry Smith. Hi, Larry Smith. Hey, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Ms. J-Love? How you doing at Family Brooklyn Pain? I'm well. How are you, Larry Darnell Smith Jr.? <laughs> I'm doing absolutely amazing. Introduce yourself, Larry, and let everyone know who you are. Um, my name is Larry Darnell Smith Jr. I was exonerated on February 4th, 2021. I served 26 years, two months, and seven days in prison for a crime I didn't commit. Uh, I was exonerated out of Wayne County Conviction Integrity Unit. I am very grateful that Kim Worthy signed off on my release. And since I've been out, been just advocating on behalf of innocent people, medically yeah. frail, over sentence, um, just the community at large. Um, the, the youth, as you stated here, and, and I work in a rec center, so I'm, I interact with the youth on a daily basis. Yeah, so member of the National Organization of John Reed, we advocate, as I stated, innocent to the J Love. I, I really don't even know what to say. No, you do it. We, you we do got it. a skate uh, party for the children. <laughs> June 17th from 5 to 8 o'clock at the, at the Roller Cave um, Skating Room uh -huh. in Southwest Detroit. 
owned uh, oldest black owned skating ring family owned in, in, in Detroit. So a hundred kids get in food on the original fat level. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. So Larry, um, we're talking about the juvenile um, criminal system and um, how at least that can possibly lead to wrongful convictions. And oh. you said you were incarcerated at for 26 years. So you was pretty young. 18. Yeah, I was 18 when I was incarcerated. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm to go into prison at that age and watch other people in there with me at 15 to 16 years old and let's have to maturate together over these years. So you see why I'm just a, such a strong advocate for them raising the age group to fit the science. Because it's is, is, is evident, it's relevant, and it's proven. Exactly. I see, uh, attorney. See, hi, attorney Hugo Matt. <laughs> Jay Love, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> well, look, I apologize. I'm in my mobile office right now, known as the Ford Fusion. <laughs> Up here where my clients are, the for real people, Harlem, uh -huh. Rips, Atlanta, Harriet <laughs> Street, Washington, where the real people live. So okay. I, I, I'm going to route back to the main office, so I'll be signing off. Uh, momentarily. Look, keep off of Michigan Ave. This is terrible. I'm telling you. They got this road so blocked up, the only way to get across the street is to be born there. You know, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hell of a situation up here. Oh, AJ Love, traffic so slow, you think these people line up for government cheese. I'm telling you. <laughs> Damn, traffic is slow. <laughs> so anyway, I don't mean a Bogard. I'm I'm glad you can hear me. Uh, the reception is so terrible, but you know Hugo Mack, you know who I am, J Love. Rest yeah. artists, they know who I am. I will say this before I get blocked out, before I come back in, if you don't mind. If yeah. you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, <laughs> park your ride on Mack Street. That's your hookup right there, Mack Street. <laughs> HMacklaw.com. HMacklaw.com hmaclaw.com that's your hookup j love yes that is your hookup i'm looking for it right now okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay turn you back you can you might as well stay on till you fall off um, right 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 i'm i'm in here with y'all okay hey brother don't 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 hold my craziness against j love it ain't her fault it ain't her fault <laughs> She 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 done threatened to kick me off the show many times for acting crazy. I apologize. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna kick him off. <laughs> so, Attorney Pay, we're gonna go back to you in the juvenile system when we talk about the brain science. Um, and me and you were having a conversation the other day about that and and what's going on in our communities um, and what you're seeing you know, in the courtroom. Can you like talk on that a little bit? Well, yeah, first, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about the demographics. Um, and I'm sure that it's not very different anywhere, uh, uh, anywhere in the country. Um, in Kalamazoo County, um, of the youth arrested uh, in 
uh, of the youth arrest, um, 72.1% were black, 16.8% were white, and then they have this other category called race unknown, which is 10.9%. Um, and I could go on and on about that, but I won't. Um, the, the youth demographics um, in our county is 49.6% white, 34.2% black. Now, obviously there's a disparity <laughs> in those numbers. If you can be 34.2% of a population yet 72.1% of the youth arrest. Right. So th that's a glaring, that's glaring in and of itself. But, um, uh, and, and, and that's not very different than what, what I see in the courtroom and probably what attorney Mac sees as well. And probably, uh, the same kinds of demographics that, um, Mr. Smith, um, uh, runs into. And, and with those disparities in mind, we can, um, I mean, we could go on and on about um, how many youth uh, and, and what, what's happening with African-American youth when they're pulled over. We see evidence of that on TV all the time uh, and how they're treated versus how white youth are treated by police officers, how they're uh, charged um, and, um, uh, and prosecuted uh, by uh, AGs and prosecutor, prosecuting attorneys, um, how they're sentenced in the courtroom by judges. And that speaks of structural systemic racism. Mm -hmm. um, it's a problem, not only there, but after they're arrested. Uh, I'm not saying that every African-American youth that's arrested is innocent. Uh, what I am saying though, is that uh, the, 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 a lot of our youth have problems. They have issues that need to be dealt with. Um, and the treatment of what's going on with them and trying to make determinations about what's going on with them, getting at the crux of the matter and trying to help them, uh, there, there aren't any real efforts uh, being made. So we developed that uh, uh, pipeline to prison um, uh, tunnel that our youth are run through every day. And, and it's the saddest thing you've ever seen. I, I, you know, I can see it happening with my young people, uh, how they can uh, get into what we call the on-track program, which is a youth residential program. How many of our kids don't get treated appropriately if they have mental health problems or um, if they're victims of poverty, um, um, how that's treated with them and their family um, and how they're set up to fail uh, just by our system. Um, I think that one of the things that we as attorneys and we as um, uh, engaged organizers need to do is start looking and making demands on the system to address the needs that um, can afford mental health um, treatment. Uh, a lot of our kids who are uh, stuck in uh, poverty can't. Uh, 
uh, a lot of them act out of uh, desperation because they're homeless, their families are homeless, uh, and uh, they don't know what to do or how to get, get through it today. Uh, and, and so we run into so many problems for them and they're going unaddressed. Yes. I know I was looking at the stats. Um, there was a study done for, um, those that, uh, were, um, uh, exonerated and like, um, uh, I think it was like maybe 63% of the cases, um, that they looked at. Um, that was a Zonarese were teenage um, juveniles. They were juveniles when they were, you know, convicted. And so, you know, it talks about, you know, how they're the most vulnerable population because they really don't understand um, the laws. They really don't understand their rights. They don't understand the, the you know, their what they should be having a conversation with their lawyers about. And also, it talks about how, and then it goes back to the brain science and how that plays. And, and again, you know, you're right. We're not talking about, you know, like every um, one is innocent, but we're talking about there is a high percentage of juveniles <laughs> in this category and actually African-American juveniles, mm -hmm. you know, when we just have this conversation. So, Larry, um, as a juvenile, you know, you were a juvenile convicted um, that was that's now in the Zonnerie. You know, what do you think about, you know, what I was just saying about not understanding and all the being very vulnerable to the system? I mean, the person who you see sitting in front of you now, this ain't not the person who I was then. Right. I thought when I asked for a lawyer, like all guard in the situation, and and then to go through that process, really, really bumbling because it's a it's a bumbling situation. Mm -hmm. You you intellectually, if you are capable, uh, understanding what you read. They saying interacting with the your lawyer to put on a proper defense to a case you don't know nothing about. Right. Mm -hmm. That's I mean it's just it's just so for people who still in there I'm out. It was people who was juveniles, 18, 19 years old. When I got there, so now they 30 some years or whatever. But remember now, it was people been there 20 years before I got there. Mm -hmm. 19 years old, and they still there right now. Yeah. When is enough enough? Exactly. Attorney Matt. Oh, and let me unmute Attorney Matt. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. AJ Love, every time you mute me, I don't take it personal. You know, I don't take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I, I used to cry. I don't cry no more, J Love. I just want you 
I'm a big enough man to admit that, J Love. So okay. To bear my to bear my emotions to the crowd, you know, I'm, I'm a big enough man to admit that. Reverend T understands. She's been counseling me. So you know, the thing of it is, the thing of it is, though, when I listen to what the brother said, you know, and and then uh, my uh, fellow fellow member of the bar, all of that is so true. But you see, there's another aspect of it, you know. Uh, most people that are that are exonerees were simply in a wrong place at a wrong time. Now, there are cases where somebody was, you know, out of state or something like that and wrongfully hooked up. But you can be innocent just be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong group of people and get caught up. I run into that so much because the mentality of the police that I've encountered in these 40-some-odd brief years is to arrest and suspect first and ask questions later, mm-hmm. you know. And so, so, so once you're caught up in, into that system, and, and then, you know, we, we as black people have been systemically, you know, in need of the most mental health treatment of any people in this country, other than perhaps Native Americans, you see. So when, as, 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 as my fellow counsel was saying, we do not receive that kind of treatment and we're thrown into that mix, it's not surprising the numbers are disproportionate. The numbers that fellow counsel talked about are very similar to the numbers in Washtenaw County. Washtenaw County might be a little worse, as a matter of fact. So the fact that we see this throughout the system is absolutely a show of systemic racism. But it's a racism that we, as black people ourselves, kind of feed into when we, we tend to join the majority culture and lock them up, get them away from me. I pay my taxes. I don't go breaking in the houses. I don't give a damn what happens to them because we fail to realize that could be one of our kids caught up in there. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I keep saying that same thing. So one of the keys to avoiding wrongful conviction is having a jury that reflects what you are. And all of you know the Constitution talks about peers. Well, that means people where you live, okay, you know, uh, in your county. It doesn't mean people that look like you. It doesn't mean people that have an ethnic heritage as you or police experience as you. It doesn't mean that. But as long as black people tend to have this fear of serving on juries, we're going to keep having these wrongful convictions keep cascading down and people spending 20, 30, 40 years before vindication comes, if at all. Yes. Hey, Rabbitia. Well, hello there. Hi, everybody. I'm just so excited to be here tonight. I um. Uh, my account was hacked, so if you guys got anything, don't open it ever. Just making that a public announcement. Um, just blessed to be here um, after working with a couple of organizations this week, trying to make sure that we continue. I don't even call it a fight. I definitely don't call it a struggle. I believe that we are expanding the knowledge of who we really are. And the more that we know who we are, the more that we are aware of the power that lies within us, then the more we can go ahead and choose the right direction that we're supposed to go in. And so as the founder of the Choice Zone, I believe that right now is the time for us to come together, also ministering over at Transforming Love Community. So transformation is just a part of who I am. And J-Love, I'm so glad that you have kept your commitment to your son and beyond. And I'm grateful for everybody on this platform 
And if y'all give me a moment, I'm gonna step outside of being Reverend Tia Little John too. Hey, Mama, <laughs> Mama Pay. Okay, now I will go back to being who I am. She has always been uh, my my role model and uh, and disciplinarian. Hey. She's got some stories. We won't listen to them right now, Mama. Don't bring them up. And uh, she is a woman who has always stood in the gap for righteousness and has been the example of that. Uh, and and don't mess with her. Don't take the A. She might seem a little short <laughs> and height. She will bite. Don't play with her. <laughs> okay. So glad to have you guys tonight and so so glad to be a part of this. Yes. So Reverend Tia, you know you work with a lot of young people. Yeah. And you see what's been going on, you know, with the youth, the the mass shooters lately been 18-year-olds. Uh, a lot of stuff that's going on that we see every night on the TV. 1821, you know, that's our and so we're talking about that, you know, how that some of this, some of these things lead to, we're not talking about, you know, the mass shooter, but we're just saying some, because our uh, young people are so criminalized, mm-hmm. every little thing that they do, sometimes it often leads to the path of a wrongful conviction. Oh, so, yeah. And when we have uh, Larry Donnell Smith with us today, you know, he's an example of, you know, of that, you know, uh, yes. happening. So, in your yeah. opinion, um, you know, go ahead, Reverend Jay, I'm, I'm just so, ex- I'm, I'm so heartbroken too because at the same time, some people are awakening. Majority or a lot of people are are sleepwalking, and children (laughs) the system was designed and has been designed to criminalize us people of color and that mindset has been passed down and so when we begin to criminalize each other so it's not so much coming from outside of ourselves as it's coming from within within our communities, when we've separated. You know, what I see and what I believe is that the idea of individualism has been permeated in our communities to where you're only successful if you get out of your family, if you have a disconnect, if you break away Instead of teaching how to collaborate with one another, cooperate with one another, work together, love one another, stay together, have purpose. And and then those who have been just look at what's being what's happening through the eye gates, the ear gates, what's being taught. What's being taught. And so Yes, yes, we're wrongfully convicted. Yes, yes, we also believe 
that we <laughs> are wrong. The children already believe they're wrong. And that's that's the that's the thing right there. They they're gonna run when they see the police because they already they did a study and they said seven year olds already believed they were wrong, not because they did anything, but because of their makeup, because they were born African American. Right. So yeah, so we have to work to change that narrative and which is, you know, an everyday process because, you know, we, in, we are indoctrinating indoctrine with so much stuff every day. We, we get feed, fed so much information, you mm -hmm. know, through the social media, through the news, through the newspapers. And, yep. and so when you, when you get the things, the programming already criminalizes you. Like, mm -hmm. I was saying, you know, when you have, you know, these numbers, they're like unbelievable, you know, and, you know, it's not that, you know, so when we're listening to it, we, we're not hearing numbers. We're just seeing crime reports or whatever. But when you dig into it, the numbers are really unbelievable. And, and, and when you just see numbers, you don't see people. Right. We're, we're, we're looking at numbers all day long, but we're not seeing people. And so in, an, in a way, we have dehumanized people with, and replaced it with number, with a number and made it not significant because it's just a number. But when you put faces and people and families, and mothers, and fathers, and sisters, and brothers, when they see people, then it becomes, if, if we saw a, a, how many people, and saw actual numbers in people, because our society is, you know, a lot of visualization is happening. Mm -hmm. So the more human we can make it, it's not believable right now until it happens to you, until it happens to your family, until you see people. So how could we be more proactive with changing this narrative? Attorney well, I, yeah, tell us, tell us. <laughs> well, I I know as an attorney, I've I, I, I listened to Larry uh, make the point of, um, uh, you know, young people not understanding their rights and not knowing, uh, not knowing what they're doing when they're going through the system. And unless somebody cares enough to take the time to listen to them, and um, her and and um, uh, hear them, uh, especially attorneys when they're meeting with their clients. Um, it's important. It's important that we hear what they're saying and not just try to 
rush through and bring the case to some kind of conclusion uh, and allow the courts and the system to rush us, but to actually take the time uh, to, because our kids have a story to tell us if we're listening uh, hard enough. Uh, and, and, and especially attorneys shouldn't be uh, doing what Tia is uh, accusing uh, the system is, of doing, which is just looking them at them as another client or as another number and not as a person uh, and with a family and uh, with feelings and thoughts and beliefs and uh, issues, uh, but uh, really uh, looking at them as human beings and not bad kids, but uh, kids with that are facing uh, tremendous issues every single day. Um, we, we need to take the time and the court needs to take its time and, and make decisions uh, based upon what's in this child's best interest. Um, we don't do that. We rush them through like a, uh, like a, 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 in an assembly line. Uh, that's a problem for um, for our kids. And the other is when we pay attention to them, one of the one of the people that I rely on a great deal is my expert witness. Uh, she is uh, an, an incredibly impressive psychologist. And uh, we uh, she and I collaborate a lot on cases, but uh, she also works with the mental health portion of our juvenile system. And she uh, uh, brought up to me this week um, the problems with how our youth are treated. And uh, even in our mental health court, uh, they need serious help and uh, they're not getting it. Um, some of them, uh, especially uh, repeat offenders, uh, we need to look at why they're doing that because if they're doing it 10 and 15 times, there's something serious going, serious going on there. Uh, so I, there are a lot of issues, uh, a lot of ways to attack this. Um, and, and finally, one of the ways to attack it is we got to find real remedies for these kids when we put them in residential placement, real remedies not just throwing them in there and, and, and hiring some guy or some woman to come in um, and get paid to run them through some kind of little program. They need real assistance and uh, not cookie cutter, uh, but real assistance if we wanna make a difference. Uh, last year, I found an organization uh, called AHA um, that was doing, a, a, they were a group of uh, culturally competent therapists that had formed together a group and they're from all over the country. They're from California, New Jersey, Georgia, all over the country. And they are willing to, during COVID, they were willing to do, they started doing online therapy with children and families. And I said, I asked them if they would please uh, take on two of my clients who were in the juvenile home uh, and, and supposedly in a residential treatment program, but weren't getting any help. 
And I and I went to the court. I filed a motion. I got the court to agree to let them do this online therapy. The juvenile home fought me every step of the way. And the and the online program fought me every step of the way. And they continually, continually filed motions objecting and not and refusing to let these kids do their treatment online. The courts, fortunately, every time we went to court, the court would deny their uh, objection and order them to let these kids do this treatment. Uh, one of them recently got out and the program, uh, when it uh, uh, came online and we did a graduation thing for him, he was, they said he was a rock star, that he did really, really well. And so we had a lot of hope for him. Uh, uh, but while he was inside, he kept telling them that the program kept saying to him, no, you don't need this. You don't need this. He, they kept saying it to both of the kids. One of them just succumbed to the to the pressure and said and just finally said, no, I don't want to do it. But the other kid said, no, my attorney said that I could talk to a black counselor. I could talk to a culturally competent therapist. That's what I want to do. And and he and I fought through that together. And so, I, you know, and and his mother, uh, grandmother, actually helped fight through that together. Uh, but you need that kind of commitment just to get them what they need. And yeah. they must have filed five motions. We fought five motions in just a, a, an eight-month period, five motions. To, to keep that from happening. So I, you know, I think that uh, there are a lot of things that can be done. Like Tia says, if we come together as a group, I mean, these went, these therapists came together to try to make a difference all over the country and, and joined with us to, to try to fight for these kids. We yeah. have, it, it's not, it can't be just me or you or you or you. It's got to be a lot of uh, all of us fighting together. Right. Uh, so there are a lot of things that we can do. We just got to reach out to competent therapists and say, will you help uh, and find a way to make it happen? We have to reach out to grant providers. A grant provider gave us the funds to fund that program. We had 27 families in that program uh, uh, for that eight-month period of time, and they they and and the grant money ran out. But we have to reach out to funders to help us to fund uh, things like that. There, there's help out there. We just got to tap into it. Right. So, Larry, in your opinion, what can we do to change the narratives? I know you're doing stuff with the youth. Um, let me see. Y'all can hear me? Yeah. Can hear me? Yeah. I mean, just, just, just be active. Put your best foot forward. Just, oftentimes, people tell me about what won't work. What's going on? Why it's going on? But never what it is that they done to help in the process to make the community safer. Not just here where we from in Michigan, but across the land. I interact with rec centers across 
the country. I talk to people who put on programming in order for us to come together and strike out together in unison. Not all formerly incarcerated, but a lot of us are. And then we have people such as yourselves who experience the process through loved ones and through working. And you can feel the empathy with us across the country. And that's what I say. Each one of us got a special role. And when we figure out our role, it's about being active. It might be making a phone call. It might be saying free Kinsu. It might be saying prison shouldn't be a big business. But it's to do something and be active. And if you don't know what to do with wrongful convictions is concerned, then come out and support with the children. Because what I tell you, if we could touch one, that's one person we possibly can detour away from crime. I talk to children daily. Five days a week I work. And I couldn't tell you how many of them would say, hey, yeah, my daddy was locked up. He did two years. Or my daddy was locked up. When I, when I was three, he came out when I was 10. You know, these type of statements. And for some of them, ah, it's just prison. And for other ones, my uh And then when they be like, man, you did that much time. And then I just tell them the truth. Like, that ain't what you want. That ain't what it is. Please trust me. And I just build with them. So for each person in society, if you can just embrace one good quality out of yourself and it part in somebody else, then that's that very first step to taking that turnaround that we want to stop wrongful convictions because people will be moving in empathy and love versus pain. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, um, that's the key. That's the key. I don't know. I'm getting. Oh, I'm all right, yeah. So I was getting some feedback from Larry, but yeah, love is the key. Um, <laughs> uh, when we talk about that, um, um, working, you know, everybody find their space. It's a, um, it's something for all of us to do. You know, we just can't all wait for somebody else <laughs> to do the work, like you said, Tony Payne. It's it's something for all of us to do. And when, it, especially when it comes to the babies, because they are our future. Reverend T, are you saying something? Because I'm. T- I don't well, know. you know what? I I talk all during the show, okay? Because sometimes <laughs> I'm feeling things, so it, my 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 mouth will just be going. That's how come I mute myself. But yes, I was saying yes, yes. We have to work together and. You know, I was reminded not long ago, my father and I, our, our team of coaches went to uh, Texas. We went to a youth detention camp and um, a youth detention. And I'm thinking that these children are going to eventually come out. But they were there as placement until they age, till they get become 18 to go into prison and I um I was so we ran a basketball camp it was a one-day camp out of all the years that I have coached basketball that was probably the best camp that one day they the 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 youth who participated in it got a reward got rewarded to be able to participate Hmm. and here they ran they ran the drills perfectly like I have been coaching them for years 
I, I wanted to take them and put them on my AAU team at the time and, 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 and just take them around the country. Um, but I saw so many children who had so much hope. And to know that so much was in them, so much potential. And when I left there, I'm thinking, well, when are they going to get out? And the, the person who uh, was the liaison for us to, to do that work there said, well, no, most of them will be going. It's just a holding place. Mm. And um, I mean, it, it, it makes me tear up now, today, because it was just a holding place for them. And I talked to somebody from Texas not long ago and, and you know, was talking about what's happening. And that person, you know, that person told me, that person said, well, it's just business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just business. If we don't understand today that that entire, that system has taken the place and has allowed slavery to continue. If we do not understand that today, I question the intelligence mm -hmm. of many leaders who are at the helm of this country. You're holding these children and then they're going on to prison so that your company can make money. It's time for us to take our children back. It's time for us to teach truth to our children. It's time for us to make sure that they have everything that they need so that they can fully for, for their potential to be fully realized. There is no reason for our children not to be able to read, to write fluently and to progress and to, to take on trade. Whatever it is they're calling, that's calling them forward. Mm -hmm. It is time for us to realize what is the purpose that that child came to express in this earth. Mm -hmm. And how, how can I help him or her achieve it? Yeah, that's what it's saying. <laughs> Hi, Edward. Hello, how are you all doing? Well, great. Hey, How about yourself? Introduce yourself. Uh, and first, I apologize. I thought I may be able to utilize my internet in the car, but I've been having weak uh, connections, so that didn't happen in my automobile. But I'm in uh, my uh, house and spot right now. My name is Edward Sanders. I go by the name of Barca. Uh, I'm a former um, juvenile lifer without parole. I served 43 and a half years in Michigan. Uh, adult prisons. I went to prison at the age of 17 in 1975. Um, I returned home in 2017. Um, 
Um, and despite the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court had asked him to take a second chance, and despite the fact that they created a statue to do that, um, they did it with some resentment and throwed in a monkey wrench that said that even the good time that we had acquired while serving the time, we couldn't have that. <laughs> These are the same people that said that we wasn't rede we wasn't redeemable, but any credit that we may have earned for, for well behavior, we couldn't have it. So um, even after um, coming home after 43 and a half years, um, I had to pursue um, persuade uh, the, uh, ACLU of Michigan, Deborah LaBelle, and uh, um, the University of Michigan, I believe they solicited help from, and they took the case um, to, uh, to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Sixth Circuit Court agreed that it was an ex post facto law, that you could not take and say that a person couldn't have something that they had already earned. So we are talking about wrongful convictions of, of youthful uh, 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 persons, and um, they have been the most vulnerable in terms of our population in being um, put in that pipeline um, to prison, whether from the county jail or from the school playground itself. Um, I know of no state within the United States, and I repeat it, there isn't a single state within the United States that have a program that has prep attorneys on representing children in adult system. No attorney do I know of got that, um, that type of training and why they didn't take and gather together as a bar association and say this is a real concern that we are being given children to represent and we have no training in taking and representing a child in adult courts in adult court system instead they went along with the process like sheep the lamb and so they are just as guilty their hands are just as dirty as those of the prosecutors most of these attorneys in the criminal justice system are used to taking and persuading adults to take and forfeit the right to a trial of, of their peers they are not necessarily even though they don't go to they don't go to law school to do that either there is no law school to teach you how to take and prep your your your, your, your client to plead guilty but this is a preoccupation the evidence for this is is the fact that over 97 percent of those that are convicted in the state system I mean in the federal system is convicted by guilty plea and the states is just barely behind that somewhere around 94, 95% of those that are taken through the state system are convicted by way of guilty plea. And so now here you have children who the law say cannot participate in making contracts are thrown in the adult system and supposed to negotiate their way out of that. And you hear the prosecutors even today saying, we gave them an opportunity to plead to a lesser charge we gave them an opportunity to plead guilty to second degree and they didn't do it it is ludicrous that attorney would take and say something like that you know a, a child brain is such and and the reason that children so often get hit by cars automobiles is because their brain does not perceive the depth of the road the way adult does 
their brain is like that of an animal not to take and compare a human being to an animal with the reason animals tend to take and get hit by automobiles and other objects is that they don't perceive the depth because their brain is still like that of an adolescent they don't perceive the depth and children don't perceive the depth of the reality of the environment that they live in and these people with these juristic degrees they are taking and complaining even to this day they said it's only their fault it's only the children's fault we gave them an offer to be guilty well that's what you did with adults and that seemed to be quite successful but it's not successful with children the children are the only ones in the criminal justice system that said bring the trial on bring the trial on you say that you had the best judicial system in the world then you had an opportunity to approve it and the only population in america that you took and attempted to prove it with was children you didn't take and approve it with adults because adults are cop out they tend to cop out but that didn't happen with the children so you wind up taking and convicting and sentencing almost three thousand children in america into the prison system and they all pretty much were dominantly black children they all were pretty much predominantly black children and i don't allow anyone with a law degree to take and escape it and only point their finger at the prosecutors i don't allow any psychiatrists or psychologists to take and escape it they all took and participated all this was adult abuse of our nation's children you just as guilty as those priests in the, in, in the church that took and molested children this is the continuous this is the continuous trauma that we see in this country by adults with children and it tend to take and happen in the societies and it tend to happen in the, with the parties that are the most educated and the parties that we tend to take and expect the most responsibility from you all are guilty you all are guilty there in oakland county there was a young man that i was in prison with this young man took and ran around the neighborhood and told people he had killed a, 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 a person they put this young kid in prison out of oakland county and then they subsequently arrested two other people and charged them with the crime they said no 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 we didn't commit the crime you already convicted and sentenced a kid that said he done it you know what the oakland county prosecutor said he didn't kill anybody he only said he did they said he only said he did and they sentenced that young man that child to prison and he took a plea to a second degree murder he only got out because the supreme court ordered an evidentiary hearing they didn't order his release they ordered an evidentiary hearing and he was too angered to get out of the prison system he turned around and then took another cop to get out of the system even though the oakland county prosecutor said that this man didn't kill anybody so my position is you got a conviction and innocent project in oakland county now go back and tell that kid to come back through there and release that child that child is not guilty he's not guilty but the guilt is on oakland county's end and they shouldn't wait on that child to come to them and file a petition for his innocence they should go to that young man his name is Julio Rodriguez. If you, you want to pretend like you don't know him, his name is Julio Rodriguez. 
Okay, that's what I got to say about um, judicial system and use. There's a lot of abuse that's going on for kids in this nation. They're the most vulnerable. We tend to take and want to look somewhere over in Brazil and say they got children living on the street and prostituting. We are prostituting our children. If, if, we, if we are not doing it in the, in the church, we are doing it in the damn courthouse. And you're all are guilty. Thank you very much. Thank you. I got a voice now. I'm no longer that 17-year-old kid that the police took and drug and throw it off in the damn penitentiary. And the first time the, the parole board looked at my file, they say, we know why you here. You here because unlike the other people in your case, you didn't talk. They say you the only one in your case didn't talk. That's why you here. That's what the parole board told me. The first time that I had a parole board review in seven years on a 43-year bit, the man told me, give me two years ticket free, and I will openly advocate for your commentation. It never happened. I didn't get out of prison for 43 years later, and I still haven't been exonerated. Okay? So that's how this nation treat children. If you want to look at my record, it's still in the parole board review. The first damn review. Well, the guy that took it said it subsequently became the chairman of the parole board after the damn review. So it's not like he didn't have the authority and responsibility to do it. But And he told me, I've seen numerous of cases like yours. So it's not just about me. This And that was William Hudson. That was William Hudson that later became the chairman of the parole board. When I tried to call him on it, he told me, I don't remember it, but it's in my damn parole board file. Thank you very much. I'm no longer that 17-year-old child that you, you, you drug and sold in the penitentiary. I got a voice now. In fact, less than three years of my release, I went to the, uni the University of Michigan and got me a master's degree in social work. Also learned how to take and use my damn voice. So I'm not apologizing for it. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Tia, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, my goodness. And thank you for your voice. Thank you for your voice. I just want to say that um, if you don't know, they have, have it recorded that there are 60,000 youth average under the age 18 that are incarcerated in juvenile jails and prisons in the United States on any given day. Yeah, uh, there, was, there, was, um, there was a judge who eventually I know you guys probably heard his story and I can't recall his name right now, but this judge was getting paid to send kids to prison. I remember. Mm -hmm. And when you look at, and and, and uh, all you guys touched on it, the money, the money, even uh, in the comments, the money, it pays to put these kids in there. You know, they the programs, Attorney Payne, when you was talking about the program was fighting you you know, because they was in fear of probably of losing that money, you know, mm -hmm. with the kids going through some kind of different therapy than the one that they were supposedly providing and getting paid for. And so uh, even 
um, in some states, they had to change the laws, you know, because these um, police officers would interrogate the kids and lie, you know, to them. Um, and so in some states, they had to change that law where you can't lie to kids anymore. You can't tell them that, you know, such and such said you did it, you know, so... You know, and that's a history of doing that. You know, even look at the story of the um, the Central Park Five. You know, that story is how those young men that the system, the police, used their um, um, uh, interrogation tactics to say this one said you did it, and this one said you did. You know, and really railroad those kids to prison innocent kids to prison for rape and so you know they struggle with that you know and and although now they're free and they're doing great things you know all over the united states that system really prey upon kids mm -hmm. and put them in prison for things they they knew that they didn't do but they just wanted to solve a case or just wanted you know to get the limelight or that career move or whatever it is to get that case solved so they can move on, not caring that you're ruining children lives. Attorney Payne. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree. And, and, and um, two things, one, no matter what cases they have and what courts say they lie to not just kids, but to everybody. Police officers lie. They lie to the court. They lie to everybody. Um, but but um, it is also um, a violation of a kid's rights for a police officer to talk to a youth outside of the presence of their parent. Uh, they do it. I don't know about every place else, but here in my county, they do it all the time. Uh, and we constantly have to file motions to suppress, you know, or get the prosecution just to throw that out because you can't use that. You know, uh, the, it's a, it's a, kids' rights are violated every, every single time they're arrested. And parents, even when you, um, even if we educate the parents and we've tried to do that so that the parent can effectively advocate for their child prior to um, whenever there's police conduct uh, contact, um, that's important because a child's brain doesn't comprehend what you try to tell them. Do you know how many times I've told a kid, don't talk don't talk they don't understand that when somebody stop when a police officer stops them what is the first thing a kid does when they get in trouble they start explaining or they deny or they say something or and it eventually gets them into trouble and i don't care how many times you tell them don't talk they still talk uh and 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 i have repeat offenders that when I see him again, I look at the police report and I say, did you say that? You know, I mean, they, but they do because they're kids and because 
because police violate their rights. No, no parent should put up with a police officer talking to their kids uh, without them being present. No attorney should allow that. Um, uh, and, and so those are uh, ongoing existing problems. Uh, the brother is absolutely correct. And, and unless uh, defense attorneys step up and hold the police accountable every single time, it's never going to stop because, because it's a culture. It's the culture of the police department. It doesn't matter what the policy is. doesn't matter what the law is. It doesn't matter what the rules are. If a judge puts up with that, if a prosecutor charges, in spite of knowing that they did that, this and, and, a, and a, their defense attorney allows it, the system will never change. Yeah. I mean, but you have to bring it every time. And then you have to get it appealed every time. Uh, you have to, you have to send up, send up an appeal every single time and stress the system, put a stress on the system, hold the system accountable. Well, attorney Payne, adults don't even know not to talk. I know it. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> they know. talk too. But you know, when we're talking about kids, you're raised to, you know, if someone in authority, your teacher, you're raised to, you know, talk or be respectful. Or, and so when I, I just recently, we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago when we saw this, um, uh, I think it was on PBS or whatever, but it was a case of a, a young juvenile. He, I think he was like maybe 14 years old. He was accused of a murder. And, you know, the police interrogated him with his mother in another room. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about how these police officers are trained. They go through all this kind of training to get you to, and so a kid doesn't stand a chance in that situation when you got somebody that has been through training and all kinds of psych classes and all kinds of things that know how to work to get you to say something that you know, you probably shouldn't be saying, but also to have not even have a parent there of an underage kid. And then we ain't even going to get to like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That's still, and those minds are still not developed. But, you know, we're just, for this conversation, we're talking about, you know, they're professionally trained and you don't have the parents there. And then this kid was actually convicted of it you know he won an appeal but he i think he probably served two years in prison for something he didn't do but and he did uh, end up suing the city and the police department and the prosecutor's office and all because they all did this um terrible injustice to this child but this happens like you said all over every day all over the united states mm-hmm. Attorney Matt. Well, the only solution is to attack this, and people have said this all throughout this broadcast from every angle. You know, um, there are attorneys out there, and I'm proud to say one of them, that I'm one of them, and I believe Sister Councilman Kalamazoo is one of them also 
that have been through so many wars, so, so many wars, you know, um, and so, so many marks on my armor, you know, it's my armor lost its shine a long, long time ago. You know, it's been beat up so damn much. But what I'm saying is, is this, is that there are attorneys out there and, and I don't want to say our numbers are, are dying out. I don't, I don't want to accept that because I try to pass on my belief with younger attorneys, particularly minority attorneys, uh, aspiring attorneys, that the only thing that a black attorney cannot have taken from them is their integrity. A black attorney can give their integrity away, but it cannot be taken, okay? And the thing of it is, is that Everybody who's taken that oath, okay, to the Constitution and to protect the poor and the underprivileged has got a sacred responsibility to live up to that. But unfortunately, when we have individuals, and, and there's been some minor changes, perhaps in Oakland County and to an extent Washtenaw County, but when, when prosecutors get elected, they far too often view their jobs as one of supporting the police and being in league with the police. But you have some people who've run for prosecutor, and I'm one of them, that make it very clear. The job as a prosecutor is to be a minister of justice. That's right. a, a minister of justice. You know, that almost sounds biblical to me, a minister of justice, you know? And the thing of it is, is that when you take that oath, you know, um, some people buy it off, you know, they can, they can be bought off with a judgeship or, or an appointment to a prosecutor's office, you know, or getting in good with the police and try to pad their, you know, uh, a civil practice. I mean, I've seen, been threatened, tempted, promised it all. Uh, and I don't just speak for myself, I speak for others like me. My integrity is not for sale. So there are a group of attorneys out there still fighting a good fight, you know, still swinging for the fences, you know, against astronomical odds. And I'm going to tell you this, one of the astronomical odds I face is in my own community, in my own community, you know, because we have become so Americanized that we actually think everything red, white, and blue in the flag covers up like, covers us like a blanket. And, and, and people don't understand when it comes to people that look like me and most of y'all on this panel, all y'all on this panel right here, that flag ain't bigger than a postage stamp. See, trying try, trying to cover me up at night, protect me from being cold and, and my rights. So I guess for me, when I listen to the topic about kids and I look at how many black kids I've seen go through the system, you know, it's almost like I'm a, I'm, I'm a fisherman, you know, you know, trying to, trying to take fish out of a big net, you know, but only have two arms, you know, and, and, and the net is so damn big and there's so few people willing to help, you know. So uh, as a lawyer, it's easier, believe me, to go along to get along. It really is because these judges can be very vindictive. Yes, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. It's true. They can be very vindictive. And a lot of these lawyers are concerned about well, damn, I don't want to piss this judge off. I got to come in front of him mm -hmm. on some other cases or 
I got my civil practice here and I, you know, and so, and, and police are the same way. They know who they can talk to and who they can cut side deals with. They know, and they know attorneys that they simply cannot do that with. So, and the problem is you have people in the defense bar that are willing to cut side deals themselves. So it's like, I'm not only fighting the enemy in front of me, I'm fighting people that are behind me. Okay. That, that are, that are that are collaborating. I see it all the time in the courtroom. So uh, it's a hell of a fight, but a fight we can't afford to give up on, and a fight we damn sure can't afford to lose. Exactly. Amen. Edward. Uh, in the midst of my rage, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, um, I would take and make some. Uh, some policy uh, proposals, uh, and that is, is that I would encourage members of the bar, and not only members of the bar, and when I say that, we're talking about attorneys, um, but also mental health workers. The, the two professions, and when you say mental health workers, it covers a large spectrum of uh, professions, they're paraprofessionals, but they all need to come together and they need to take and petition that when children, they need to petition a standard, a standard that needs to be met when children are faced with the judicial system. And they have um, abrogated their moral duty, as well as that of their profession. It's not just simply a moral duty, but it's also that of their profession. And I think Dr. King already um, uh, um, addressed that issue about being silent. You know, uh, you, uh, you're part of the problem as opposed to being part of the solution. Many attorneys believe themselves to be competent in everything. And this is why there are so many people in prison, because that belief isn't founded on any reality. <clears throat> the prosecutor's office normally take and come forth with all sorts of experts. They have a budget to do that. Attorneys tend not to have that kind of budget. I understand that. But very few of them even ask for expert witnesses. Very few of them even ask the court to give them the revenue that is available to even consult with experts that would assist them. Those few attorneys that have done it have been game changers. One of them is Brian Stevenson. He took and, and not only used his legal skills but he took and did a cross-discipline with neuroscience. And as a result, he took and disrupted this, this, this practice of putting people on, on death row that were mentally ill or putting children in prison for life without the possibility of parole, whether they were homicide or non-homicide. Because remember, uh, uh, everybody, the media and everybody is focusing on the children that had committed homicide, but there were children that were serving life without parole that didn't even commit homicide. They just simply did a damn parole violation or probation, a probation violation. That's Graham versus Florida. The young kid only violated, he only violated his probation. The prosecutors and them wanted to judge for showing the lesson, but they took and said, not that, not that. And the judge didn't hear him. And even the U.S. Supreme Court said, how did this get all the way up here? How did nobody down below correct this? No one below corrected this. And I'm saying 
to attorneys in this country and to mental health workers. You need to get together as a profession and come up with an agreed standard. Our politicians is not going to do that. You need to do it as a profession and say this is how we believe based upon what we understand how children should be treated if they are brought into this system. Not that you necessarily have to agree that they should be brought in that system, but if you, but if they're gonna be brought in that system, you guys need to take and advocate a standard of review from because we have a different medical standard of like incompetency and uh, or competency period. We have a different legal standard and a different medical standard, and they don't jive. And the community need to say something in that regards. They need to say something in that regard. Here we have a formal slave plantation. This is unconscionable. This is unconscionable. We have a formal slave plantation that had the largest population of black children that was sentenced to life as uh, as juvenile of life without the possibility of parole. Angola is a formal slave plantation. And so you think I really give a damn about African-American attorneys arguing about the fact that they lost the, uh, uh, the recorder's court? Well, what the hell was you doing when you when you had the majority there? It didn't matter to you when you allowed your own population out of Wayne County to be sent up in the UP and did take and allow them, the, the, the prison, Gary Manfred, where they took your resources, your taxes, during the census for 10 years. When they take your census, when they count somebody, that count for 10 years. And this has been going on in excess of the last 50 years. So you haven't been representing that population well in the first damn place. So I can give a damn that they took the recorder's court from you. You know, we're still taking an argument about black people not being able to be represented on a jury. So I can give a damn about you you losing the recorder's court. You didn't represent us while you were on there. Okay? You didn't represent. And that's why I can't put my head around it when formal prisoners come out and get behind these people running for office. They're the same damn ones that put you in prison. They're the same ones that took away your opportunity to get education. Okay? I graduated with the largest group of prisoners in Jackson. Uh, um, in, 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 uh, um, in, in, in uh, Spring Arbor College, which is a four-year college. It was so many of us graduating because the Democrats and the Republicans, Bill Clinton, that, that, that crime bill that our president, president bragged about and the former Democratic president bragged about, where they took away the opportunity for people to take and get education while they're in prison. And when I got out, guess where I got a job at? AmeriCorps. And guess they threw me out because they said Bill Clinton got in that 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 organization that he created that a person that formerly been incarcerated can't even come back to his damn community and make a damn contribution to his community. So not only did I get kicked out of um, college while I was in prison because of the damn policies, I couldn't even take and come back and serve my damn community. Okay, so that's something to think about. I'm not an unconscientious person that was put inside of that system. I'm not one, and I'm gonna use my voice, 
And I say to those of you and the African-American mental health workers and African-American members of the bar, quit talking about prison gerrymandering if you're just taking and trying to get your damn seat back. It's not about your damn seat. It's about the resources that's been taken out of the community. When you take and, and, and mis, when misappropriate the census, that affects where hospitals are built. That affects where schools are built, damn it. That affects where supermarkets are. That affects where homes are in the community. Mm -hmm. It's more than you taking and getting a damn office or competing with the other damn uh, 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 political party or position. It represents money. So when we talk about black women not being able to have proper care for their children and so forth, it was a result of, yes, our beautiful black judges that took and sent all those black bodies, not only to prison, but they had no problem that they went up north to the UP. Okay, they went up north to the UP to where the state was able to take and use them to bargain, to bargain with, the, with the people in the UP not to take and um, receive. <clears throat> when they was talking about receding from Michigan, creating another state independent of Michigan, they used us, those black bodies, mostly from Wayne County, to negotiate the state part of Michigan. We'll send you these bodies, these black bodies, and you can count them on your census. So, so that's the type of representation we got. And I can give a damn that you're no longer sitting on the court that's called the recorder's court. You probably shouldn't be sitting on any damn court. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Were you saying something, Rabbit <laughs> uh, You know what? He's always telling the truth. That's one thing. And, and I'm so grateful that he did not that he did not come out and become silent. Because yeah. a lot of times people are moving according to their fear. Yeah. And and the fear, the fear, if we don't say anything, the fear is that we could just disappear <laughs> that we can no longer go according what are we afraid of right there's so much happening now that there's no need for us to fear anything and i think attorney attorney uh hugo mack has said last time how he wasn't afraid anymore it doesn't matter what's going to happen and at the end of the day I want my life to say that, you know, she spoke the truth. Right. She stood for righteousness. Yeah. You know, and, and I want righteousness now. You can't buy me or sell me on a righteousness that's going to come later in the by and by. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, I, that's where I'm at is that right now, right now in this United States, and even though they didn't mean for it to be for us, even if they did write laws and, and make, make these statutes so that they did not represent us, it's already written. And so they gotta, they gotta come through now on what they have written. They spoke it, they wrote it, it is so. Now, how it's going to evolve, I can't tell you exactly, 
but I know that it is my expectation. All right. Larry? I, I was just listening to, to Edward, the member, and, I, and I just, everything they said, just resolute on the experience, not only as being a person in that place, but since I've been out of that place and being in this country. The expectations for our country, the Constitution, people are always talking about it. I'm going to be on TN. Constitution didn't serve me no justice. Um, the Anti-Effective Death Penalty Act in this country. Oh, yeah, it's killing juveniles. It's killing regular civilians who get locked up for crime but they commit. It's killing people who did commit crimes. Like, this is making people terrorists on their own grounds right here on our American soil. And then when we are, we are assaulted by the police in our communities, we smack with wrongful convictions. Then you got a union board stepping up like, oh, yeah, it was uh, like basically like it, it, uh, it's nothing. But in reality, these lives are something. Our experience are something. And that's why I applaud. I, 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 I applaud Edward for not letting nobody take his voice. When I went to prison, they told me I could forget my name, but don't forget my number. So when people start saying numbers, automatically it clicked to that prison number. And then I snapped back like I'm Larry Darnell Smith Jr. But for our country as a whole, with these rules that they got up there, I tell people, don't just vote for somebody because they look cool. Don't vote for somebody because they're experienced. Why don't you check out their politics and where they're going to place us at if we put them in office? These things are important. And I just want to say thank y'all for having me on here. Thank y'all for sharing this information with the public. And I hope that to see y'all young people at the skating ring in Southwest Detroit <laughs> on the 17th of this month. 100 students get in free on the original Fat Lipper, um, a diaper donation. And like I say, please, Gretchen Whitmore, please save Kinsu life. At what point is enough enough? It's coming from a person who spent 27 years in prison for a crime they ain't commit. At what point is enough enough? And thank you, everybody. Yes, thank you. Attorney Payne? Um, you know, I, um, I appreciate uh, uh, people who come out and activate. Um, because it is easy to try to, to, to go away. Uh, and and um, it is easy to become institutionalized when you're in there um, and just come out and try to disappear. Um, it's, it's more difficult to come out and become an activist because you could be a target. Um, and, and that's a problem. But, but I appreciate uh, the brothers coming out and working and mentoring. Um, I, I, um, mentoring is probably the most, some of the most important things that you can do, especially after you've been inside. Uh, so many of these brothers, there was this narrative going on for a lot, a lot of years that that was a badge of courage. That was a badge of honor. Uh, to go in and do your time and come out and and dudes that came back out, you know, they looked up to you. You know, the little brothers in the street looked up to you, said, thought it was a good thing. I like the idea that brothers come out and tell the truth, uh, that 
that wasn't a place, that's not a thing of honor. It's a thing of dishonor for those who did this to me. Um, I like brothers that come out and are willing to mentor these kids and say, uh, this is not where you want to go. This is not what you want to do. Um, I appreciate them so much because so many of my clients need that to hear that kind of conversation. Um, so I, I, uh, I appreciate you uh, being invited here tonight as well and everything that's been said. I think that uh, uh, Attorney Mack is uh, right. We, we probably do have a lot of dents on our armor and, and, and have been trying to fight, but uh, it does tire you out. Uh, uh, and, and some days I think I'm going forward and, do, and going all day just by the grace of God, uh, because that's the only place I can get that much strength for that day. Uh, so I, I, um, I thank God for that, but I thank God for all of the warriors out here that are doing everything they can do uh, to make a difference, to make a change. Uh, congratulations, uh, Mr. Saunders, on your degree and, uh, and for the work that you're doing. Thank yeah. you. Yes. So thank you, you guys. This was an awesome conversation. Um, we just need to have more conversations like this because um, for most of us, it's just a passing thought when you hear about somebody's kid um, being locked up. But, you know, um, before COVID, we saw so many uh, videos of little children being dragged out of schools by the police and um, elementary kids, you know. And so the age is getting younger and younger. It's not 18 is not 17 it's not 15 it's nine and ten year olds now so we had to have these conversations to awaken ourselves in our community and to understand these kids are our future <laughs> and if we don't do what we need to do to protect them then the future is going to be pretty you know bleak for them so it's our responsibility as the elders, as the elders, to um, older ones, to initiate these conversations, to talk with our family members, to reach out to these kids, you know, be your own family activists, <laughs> activate your family, you know, it starts at home. Um, so I want to thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, uh, Attorney Hugo, Matt, did you have anything you wanted to say before we leave? I just want to say, don't ever, ever stop the fight, you know? And I agree with what my sister counsel said, by the grace of God, because God has put a force in sight of every liberator, every person for justice. Don't ever, ever stop the fight, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we may not all live to see today, but we can all throw a block for somebody. And that it's got to come. It's it's got to come. As long as I see five other people here willing to be in that fight, that day's gonna come. You know. So uh, we're gonna do it together. Yes. Thank you, Attorney Hugo Matt. So until next week, I want to thank you guys for joining me. If you want to learn more about the Justice for Gerard movement, go to change.org. 
read the story, sign the petition, share it. A wrongful conviction can happen to anyone at any time. It could even, it could be you, it could be a, a family member. Listen to these stories, share these stories so you can understand how easy it is. It, it, you, we talked about it. It can, you could be at the wrong place at the one, wrong time and next thing you know, you're, you're convicted and in prison. So thank you uh, for joining us and we'll see you next week on Turning a Moment into a Moment. <laughs>